This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Judaizers came and they kept saying, don't touch this, don't do that, don't go there, don't don't taste this, don't do those things. And Paul says, you know, all of that's, it sounds really religious and it sounds like it might be profitable. But the matter is, it's our heart. It's our heart. It's the life, it's the walk of faith, not the life and the walk of do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there. Now, those things do change in your lives. Hopefully, those do change as you walk the life of faith. Pastor David will be sharing with us the importance of understanding we are freely justified. Justified means when I stand before God, it is just as if I've never sinned. We receive this justification by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. When we understand justification, we obey God because we want to show love and appreciation for the free gift of salvation that He's offered us. It is a joy, not a chore to obey. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 20, for part one of our message entitled, Justified Freely. Verse 20 of chapter 3 of Romans declares, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, that's an Eeyore moment right there. We're not going to be able to be justified before him. All flesh is going to stand before him guilty. But yet, here comes the good part. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now that is a mouthful. As a matter of fact, that whole little paragraph of Romans is, again, one of those pivotal points, those very distinct points of saying, look, this is really what it's all about. If you haven't caught it yet, this is what it's all about. You've all sinned, but yet God has justified you even in the midst of your sin by sending Christ to die for you. And if you get anything out of the book of Romans, please at least get that. You are sinful. God has provided justification for your sin by sending Christ. Now, we look at these two verses in particular. We'll begin with verse 21 and 22. And we read these verses, and it really is a mouthful. 
But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And one of the things that I know about Paul is he uses a lot of descriptive dialogue in his writings. But I want to remove some of that descriptive dialogue this morning, bring it down to the bare essence of what he's saying, the basis of what he's saying is, but now the righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. I'm not going to rewrite this scripture, but I want to break it down in order for you and I to be able to grasp it a little bit better. The righteousness of God is revealed. As we look at these together as the, the base of what we're speaking this morning, it becomes very easy to understand. The righteousness of God revealed through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. I understand the righteousness of God when I come by faith to Christ. That's when I really begin to know God. Up until that time, I may suppose, I may think, I may have some opinion about it, but it's not until I really and truly come to faith in Jesus Christ that the very righteousness of God becomes revealed into me because I realize, man, how wicked I was. I am, I continue to be, but in essence, how wicked I was, and yet God loved me, and in the process of all of these things, he saved me. We look at some of these words even within this, and the first one I want you to look at is revealed. And that whole idea of what reveal is, it has a great function. It means to make manifest or to declare openly. And we've spoken about this term in a couple of different places on our Wednesday nights going through Corinthians as well as here in Romans. He uses that word revealed several times. And again, it's an accounting term, a merchant term. I've shared with you that the ships manifest was that very thing. It revealed everything that was on the ship, where it came from, where it's going. Well, when it says that the righteousness of God is revealed, it means that he's made it openly known to all people. And remember how we've looked already at Romans at the first chapter, how we revealed it to all mankind, both in them and in the things that were created. And then in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, he revealed it also to the Jew as he called Israel, as he called the Jews or Israel out to become a nation, not because there was something special, but because God was going to show himself special to them. And he revealed himself to them. The other thing that we see is this idea of he revealed through faith in Jesus. And the whole idea of through faith is something that Paul uses a multitude of times in all of his writings. In Romans 1, verse 17, he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, that revealing coming by faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 and 5. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, 
but it's according to his mercy that he's saved us. Again, this whole idea that it's through faith, it's not works. And we see this even other times, the whole book of Galatians, we see over and over and over again, Paul talking about the fact that it's not works, it's not the law, it's the reality of faith. Even to that point that Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, I like to say, you fools. Because in essence, that's what he's saying, you fools. Having begun by faith, are you now being perfected by works, in essence, is what he's saying? No, it's a life of faith. We're born into the kingdom by faith. We live by faith. The very righteousness of God being worked out in our lives through faith. Even in the book of Colossians, and we touched on that not too long ago, about the fact that those Judaizers came and they kept saying, don't touch this, don't do that, don't go there, don't, don't taste this, don't do those things. And Paul says, you know, all of that's, it sounds really religious and it sounds like it might be profitable. But the matter is, it's our heart. It's our heart. It's the life, it's the walk of faith. Not the life and the walk of do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there. Now, those things do change in your lives. Hopefully, those do change as you walk the life of faith. But just by doing them, it doesn't do a thing for us. Now, if we add back in those descriptive dialogue, kind of to help see what he's speaking about right now. But what do those ideas, what do those lines mean that he puts in there? Some of the great and really meaningful phrases that we find in there are some of those things that we took out earlier, apart from the law. His righteousness is revealed, and it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even that very righteousness of God, and then down at the end, for there is no difference. Now, these are powerful, powerful words that you and I need to understand, not only in our lives as believers, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand this, too. And when we look at that first one, it says, apart from the law. How quick we are to think, oh, I know exactly what that means, but what does it mean? It's not the word of Moses. It's not the Ten Commandments. Actually, it's what he's speaking in the context here is the works of the flesh. And I'm not talking about the bad works of the flesh, the evil things, the sin. What I'm talking about is those works of the flesh that, again, we can look at and say, well, this is a good thing. This is a ceremony. This is a ritual. This is a tradition. These are the things that religious people do all the time. And he's saying, no, it's apart from the law. It's apart from these works of flesh that God is revealing himself to us. And he says it's being witnessed. And what do we mean by his being witnessed? Well, a witness comes from a Greek word that went to a Latin word that then came to our English word that we get the word martyr out of. And so when we think of martyrs, we think of those Christians who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. But the word has much deeper meaning than that. It goes to a judicial meaning. It has the idea of being an official record, a report, or a testimony. So when it says that his righteousness, the righteousness of God apart from the law, is being revealed, it's being witnessed. In other words, there is now a testimony, an official, you might say, a court transcript that it really has happened. It's being witnessed within the court. 
the truth is supposedly to be told continually. And this is what the declaration is. Well, how is it witnessed? It says that it's being witnessed. Even that word being has an essence because the word being, according to A.T. Robertson, has a meaning that it's continually doing it. It's made plain continuously by God himself. For those that care, it's a present passive participle. I didn't know that myself. I had to look that up. And you might think, well, so what? What difference does that mean? Well, really, it adds a lot to the meaning of the word. It just wasn't witnessed one time. But no, it's continually, ongoing, being witnessed. And so when we look at this, the righteousness of God being declared openly, being revealed openly, being witnessed, there is this testimony, there's report, and it's continually going on. Well, how is it witnessed? It's witnessed, first of all, he says, by the law. And we look at the law and you think, well, what exactly does he mean by the law? And we can look and we can say, well, that is for the Jew. The Jew understood what the law was. The law was the Pentateuch, those writings of Moses, those first five books of your Bible. And wherein is the righteousness of God being witnessed or revealed in the law? Well, we could go all the way back to the very beginning, can't we? We can go to Genesis. Then we can see the righteousness of God, even as he was having fellowship and relationship with Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, boom, that relationship had to be different now. Why? Because of the righteousness of God. Because the Word of God declares that within his presence no sin may abide. So something had to be done. We see the righteousness of God a couple of chapters later in the book of Genesis, where again, God looked out and the intent of the man's heart was evil always. So God says, I'm going to make an end to them. It says that it really sorrowed God that he made man because of the wickedness. And so what did he do? Because of his righteousness, he had to do away with that sin. He saved that one man that he found as a righteous man, Noah, and his family. So there was a salvation in the midst of that. But the righteousness of God was being witnessed in that he destroyed the world. A little bit later in Genesis, we see the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and, again, the angels coming to destroy those wicked cities. Again, the righteousness of God in over and over and over again, even as the nation of Israel, the Hebrew children, moved on into the promised land. He said, because of the wickedness of those people, I want you to utterly destroy them to do away with them completely. As a matter of fact, if you'll follow me, I'll destroy them before you. Why? Because the righteousness of God saw the wickedness of them, and there had to be something done about it. Why? Because the righteousness of God demanded it. Where else is it being witnessed? It's being witnessed by the prophets. When we think of the prophets, we think, well, primarily the major and the minor prophets. And we could go through and name all those guys the backside of your Old Testament. But in reality, throughout all of the Old Testament, we see prophetic messages. They say that uh, well over 60% of your Old Testament is prophecy. 
You understand, you've got the prophets and their writings, but then you look in the Psalms, and there's a multitude of prophecies written in the Psalms. You look even in the, the history of the nation of Israel, as again, God's prophet came and spoke to Israel. A multitude of prophecy there. We even get into the Pentateuch, the earlier part, the prophetic message that God gave there. And they are continually talking about the righteousness of who God is. They are declaring it openly and widely. It's being revealed. It's being made manifest by the law and by the prophets. The declaration that they're making is the very righteousness of God that's being found through faith in Jesus Christ. As we look at those words, if they've been declaring all of these things about the righteousness of God... We find it in Jesus Christ. Well, how do the law and the prophets declare that? Well, there's a multitude of verses, but just a few for you this morning. We can see it declared all throughout Scripture. Psalm 65, 5 says, By awesome deeds of righteousness you will answer us, O God of what? Our salvation. Speaking that even that God is going to provide... Even through his righteousness, he's going to provide salvation. Psalm 97, verse 1 and 2, he says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The very foundation of who God is, is righteousness and justice. And because there is righteousness, because there is justice, there has to be some kind of a payment for sin of man. Again, pointing toward Christ. Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all of His ways, and He's gracious in all of His works. Sometimes we look at that, he's, he's righteous over here, but He's also gracious, and somehow it all blends together, and praise God for you and I that it does. Because if He wasn't gracious, then all of His righteousness would be dumped upon us, and there's no way that we could survive. We read in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Again, that branch of David that's coming, that king that's going to reign and prosper, speaking again of the reality of the coming of Jesus, that the righteousness of God is being revealed, and we find it through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the last portion of that verse where he says, For there is no difference. What does he speak about in no difference? Well, again, the context of all that he's saying. He speaks about the reality of the Jew and the Greek, or the Jew and the non-Jew, whatever way that you want to put it. Or you can put it this way, and I believe in the context of what he's saying, both in chapters 1 and chapter 2 and the first half of chapter 3, is even there is no difference between the religious and the pagan. You think, well, there's definitely got to be a difference between a religious person and a pagan. But really and truly, not in God's eyes. Because a religious person, as we looked at, I believe it was last week, 
deals in his own self-righteousness. He deals in his own deeds and abilities. God says that there's no difference whether you're religious or whether you're a pagan if you're out of faith in me, if you're not walking in faith in Jesus Christ, if you're separated from him. So because there is no difference, we find in verse 23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now this judicial decree comes upon us. Boom. Guilty. 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 All of mankind is guilty because there is no difference because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The religious one, the pagan, we all come at that flat and level ground. And God says guilty. So now we've got this moral dilemma that stands before us. How do you uphold the law and yet offer forgiveness. Upholding the law that says you're guilty and yet give forgiveness. Well, that kind of outdoes the law. That does away with the law. If I were to stand before the judge and the judge says you are guilty of embezzlement, you've been caught red-handed with your hand in the cookie jar, we have all of the proof, all of the evidence, the judicial decree, and the judgment against you is you are guilty, but that's okay, We, we love you, and why don't you go have a great day. So what good is the law at that point? And you see, for many today, that's what they think, well, God is a God of love. Surely he wouldn't send anyone to hell. God is a God of love. But, beloved, God is a God of righteousness and holiness. And he cannot do away with the law. The law is given, it's declared, and it remains. So if I have the law and the law shows me as guilty, then how in the world can I go free? That's what the next verses speak to us. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's look at a couple of those words. To justify means to render or to show or regard as just or innocent. God justified us through Jesus Christ. I've been rendered innocent. Beloved, when we say that it's freely justified or justified freely, you and I need to understand what that's all about. Our salvation is without cost. And yet, it is so costly. For you and I, we receive it by faith. And we say, it didn't cost me Anything. I came to Christ in faith and I received the fullness of redemption within my life. But don't misunderstand. It's a very, very costly redemption. Because God took upon himself human flesh and dwelt among man. He laid down literally his glory. The word says he did not despise these things, but he humbled himself and taking upon himself the form and the fashion of man, lowered himself even 
to the point of death, to the point of the cross. Your salvation, your redemption was very, very costly. And yet we read these words and it says that we are freely justified. Yeah, we were free, but it cost God tremendously. The next word that he uses there is that idea of redemption, the the ransom paid in full. And it, it was a word that was used originally with the thought and the idea that either that of a prisoner that there had he had to pay his debt before he was released or even someone who was taken and kidnapped and held for ransom and were familiar with those words i'm going to take you away from where you should be and i'm going to hold you until somebody pays me a ransom and usually i don't know about you but usually the ransoms that i've always heard have been rather high it's not like, okay, I'm going to take him, and you give me $5, and I'll give him back. Now, there's some people that you might want to pay somebody to take back from you. The reality is, is when you and I were taken in ransom, the cost was tremendous, because you and I were taken captive by what? By sin. By our sin nature. We were held captive by the very enemies of our souls, by Satan himself. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.